life. Are you growing with it or feeling left out? Either way or in between, you're in the right place today with the host of Change Already, Your Future, Your Choice, Jillian. She's an award-winning author and radio personality. She's warm, she's fuzzy, and she's got an attitude. like time goes so fast when I'm in the middle of these series. It's hard to believe that I'm already in week three of the series that I'm calling Serial Killers in Spirituality. It's crazy to think that these people walk among us. And as we spent the last two weeks talking about criminals and serial killers with criminologist professor Dr. Scott Bond, and the public's fascination that they have about these, and it never seems to amaze me how strange and odd these people are. And the more we know about them, the more we want to know even more about them. Thank goodness there's just a small group of these criminals. Last week I called attention to a particular case with Dr. Bond. Um, his name was David Berkowitz. He's better known as a serial killer in the 70s called Son of Sam. And in that conversation we had last week with Dr. Bond, he was talking specifically about Dr. I mean David Berkowitz's conversion, supposedly, to a religious reborn life while he was in incarceration and he will be for the rest of his life. And the conversation we had was that the majority of these people believe in his conversion. Now, we didn't really say one way or the other, and I'm just standing on the sidelines taking this all in, but he had a chance to personally talk to him, and he gave some suggestions and thoughts that's going to be in his upcoming book next year. If you want to go back and re-listen to that show, it's fascinating, and, and the words that Dr. Bond put to this conversion and spiritual awakening that uh, David Berkowitz is having, go back to my blog talk page at Change Ready with Jillian, and you can hear the rest of the story, or you can go to my blog site, which is JillianMossBackman.com. After the broadcast, I had one listener contact me, and it was really fascinating what people are picking up on there. Dr. Bond alluded to that this guy who is now incarcerated and spends his entire time working his ministry inside the prison and also outside in the world, and he kept saying that there was nothing for this son of Sam, now son of Hope guy, to gain from living this life. And my listener quietly and poignantly pointed out to me that he indeed has everything to gain. And he said because he was never going to get parole, what what would he gain? Well, my listener pointed out and said that there were a lot of things he could gain. I guess he figured he would believe in what he thought. But he was saying that, you know, he was talking about how he's called Brother Dave and people you know, treat him with respect, nobody's bothering him, he does menial tasks in there. So my listener begged to differ with the conversation that Dr. Spahn had, and actually there was something to gain from it. And I want to take that thought 
a spiritual conversion and, you know, having this big religious awakening after you've done something criminal in this respect and put a different spin on it this week. I'm not saying that I'm skeptical, but I don't think there's anything wrong with all of us getting down to the truth because when you use religion and spirituality in a way that's not transparent, it can really be damaging for a lot of people, and it's not something you mess with. So I want to bring on my next guest, and I'm very excited to have her. And she's gonna, we're going to discuss the counterpoint side of this game that my listener pointed out to us, and maybe there is something behind the idea that he does get a payoff. I want to talk to... Diane Fanning, and I'm excited to talk to her. She's a premier crime novelist and a true crime author. And in fact, Diane is celebrating her 20th book this year called Sleep My Darling, and it's out, and she's in San Antonio, my stomping grounds, by the way. Good good afternoon, Diane. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon. It's nice to be with you today. I want to focus, even though you have a a plethora of books, I want to go back to one book and a serial killer that you had a chance to become close with and have a one-on-one conversation with a guy named Tommy Lynn Sell. And your first book, your first true crime book, I believe, what was the name of it? Through the Window. Okay, and in that book, can you explain a little bit about, it's about a murder of a young boy, I believe. Tell us a little bit about it, and then we're going to specifically talk about this Tommy Lynn Spells guy. Well, Through the Window basically goes through two decades of murder. Tommy Lynn Spells killed men, women, and children. He was never a suspect until he committed uh, his final murder in Del Rio, Texas. He uh, killed one little girl, and the other little girl had her throat slit and left for dead. She managed to survive. It was really miraculous. His knife actually nicked the uh, sheath around the carotid artery, but did not cut the artery itself. She went for help and was airlifted to the hospital. She immediately was taken into surgery. She was not able to speak yet from the trauma of having her vocal cords cut, but she did uh, make a signal for a pencil and paper, and she wrote, get the cops. The police came. They brought along a forensic artist, and that artist worked with that child who couldn't speak and was able to get a description that was good enough and a picture that was accurate enough that they were they had him identified within an hour. And you then know, I listen I listen to these stories I'm sorry. I listen to these stories, Diane, and it just blows my mind that people are really out there. But Consequently, this is what led to his arrest and then it just folded like dominoes, right? The, the guy yeah, and you know, I had one one Texas Ranger say to me, if you knew how many people like Tommy Lincells were there at any given time, it would blow the skirt right up over your head. Oh, Lord. 
you know, and I, it, it, that in itself is hard to believe. And consequently, the book that you wrote about a murder that was prior to him getting this last one you just, the, that you just talked about is the one that you wrote about in the book, right? I wrote about his complete history of murder. Okay. And I got it. One of the one of the cases that made a distinct difference. I wrote about um Julie Ray who whose ten year old son had been murdered and Julie had been convicted of that murder and received a sixty five year sentence. Oh, In one of my conversations with Sells, he um, admitted to having committed that crime. And because of the information that I was able to get from him and the the um, investigation done by the Downstate Illinois Innocence Project and the legal work done by the, the Center on Wrongful Convictions in Chicago, uh, it, she was able to get a new trial and she was acquitted. And since then, she's gone through the arduous process of obtaining a um, certificate of actual innocence from the state of Illinois. What great work. I mean, that's just an unbelievable story that you recant about that in your book and things. I want to focus on, so you wrote this book. You, too, had personal conversations with this man, Tommy Lynn, and you were able to see his demeanor and specifically what we're talking about today is that he too at some point held on to religion or spirituality. And let me P.S. this. Diane, I went and looked at some of those videos on on the web about this guy. There is nothing but black in his eyes. Now, he is considered a true psychopath, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely, with, without a doubt. A master manipulator and a psychopath. So why, where, at what point in the story when he got convicted and, and he's in, in prison for the rest of his life, let's say, I mean, he's, he's on death, on death row, row, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where in the world did he start picking up on this religious thing and how did that go down? Well, the first time it started, he was still in the county jail awaiting his first trial. And the sheriff of the Val Verde County Jail um, is a very deeply religious Christian man who uh, uh, preached to Tommy and he read the Bible to him. And Tommy claimed to have been saved and was actually baptized at the prison. But, oh, my gosh. Where was that, Diane? Is that in Texas? Yes, in Del Rio. Okay. Uh, they baptized him out in, out in the yard. And yeah. um, he, you know, and he was putting on this act. Well, quite honestly, he knew that that act was exactly what he needed to get what he wanted from the sheriff. Oh and that, that, to get a little bit better treatment, to be listened to. Uh, he he acted like he was Mr. Christian. And then he dropped that right after the trial 
and was moved to um, the moved to prison and a uh, state prison. Then he was brought back on another charge to a county jail in Bear County. And, oh, my, um, our, my stomping ground. Yes, yes. So he was there uh, on on the murder of Mary B. Perez in San Antonio at, at Fiesta. And while he was there, he found out that there were people that would come to visit him with you know, Christian ministry people. Right. And considering he went there in March... And when I visited him at the end of September, I was the first visitor he'd had in that jail, not counting the prison ministry people. Oh, my gosh. So basically, he had to embrace <laughs> them in order to get somebody to talk to. Do you think that is that exactly what he did? Yes, yes, yes. And then he went out to, back to the, the state prison, to death row. Okay. And then, in addition to interviewing him 20 times, I have dozens and dozens and dozens of letters from him. And then that was when he went on this absolute tearing rant about how all Christians are hypocrites, and that includes mm-hmm. me, and... I had told him to stop writing about sexual stuff in the letters. I didn't want to hear it. And he talked, you know, he referred to me as, as being a hypocrite and a Christian. I said, I'm a happily married woman. You know, just cut it out or stop writing. <laughs> yeah, period. Exactly. And, oh my God. Um, you know, he was furious about that for a while. So then time went by on death row, and apparently... Uh, he had an interest in being befriended by this white supremacist guy. So he, like, joined this uh, group of a white supremacist religious so-called Christian group um, uh, who, you know, and, and then he went through this period where he was talking all sorts of racist trash um some of it focused on Jewish people, some of it focused on Hispanics, some of it focused on um black people, you know, whatever. It was just uh and a big assault on on all of that, saying negative stuff like that, because that was, you know, part of the supremacist church thing. Then he went to a period of time where he said that he is not going to, uh, he did not believe in God at all. And, uh, you know, he was just disdainful about all of that. And then he, uh, just recently, he was contacted for an interview by Bio. And... Bio uh, didn't hear back from them, so they talked to me, and they wanted me on the show as well. So they asked me if I would mind writing to him and asking him if he would be interested in being on the show. So I did that, and that's when he responded to Bio. And what he told them is he wanted his two spiritual advisors flown in to be with him when he does the interview. Oh, my gosh, you're kidding And this time around, his two spiritual advisors 
happen to be Satanists. <gasps> you mean like document Satanists? Like they're yes, like they're practicing parishion. You know, really? Yes. So he's now a Satanist. Which actually seems more apropos than anything else. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the question, I, and you may not be able to answer this, but did he grow up with Christianity? I read his bio a bit from different parts, but I, I know that he had a troubled childhood, but was there any spirituality or any religious teaching along the way from his childhood? Um, I think there was some when he was living with his aunt. Okay. You know, there was like, I think he was going to Sunday school, but his mother sort of dumped him on his aunt when he was about 18 months old. And then she, uh, then she left him there. And when the aunt said, well, it's time for him to go to school, I need to have guardianship or adopt him or something. I mean, the family's accepted him. We love him. And um, and that's when his mother ripped him out of that heaven and wouldn't let, her, let him see that family anymore. So uh, I don't think, aside from that period of time, there was any religious upbringing. Of course, so his the story reason, is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. His other story is, is that yeah. while he was in West Virginia prison, uh, where he spent five years, he taught himself how to read using the Bible. So the reason I'm asking is a lot of times these people pick up on the satanic spiritual part of things and go that direction like our last conversation about Son of Sam. But how? So there's no background of him being involved with the satanic stuff or is this just his newest twist to where he's going next. You know, this could, this is the first religion of any sort that really seems to tie in with the evil person that he is. So maybe this one's genuine. I mean, I don't know. But every time, it was very obvious, every time he picked up on any form of Christianity, that there was um, a thing in it that getting something for him. So you know, it's uh, it's it's he's as I said, he's a master manipulator, and right. he can he can be very charming. He can you know tell jokes, goof around, and be very very charming. But the problem is, is there's a, a, a demon of sorts lurking beneath the surface. And I remember one time when I was talking to him, and he got really angry. He wasn't angry at me, but he was angry at what someone else had told me. And he went into such a rage. It was terrifying. Uh, he has hazel eyes, and they turned so dark. Oh gosh, that just gives his, me the chills. <laughs> the shape of his face seemed to change, and everything about him grew rigid. And it was really very 
very frightening, even though there was plexiglass between us. It was almost like it felt there was so much rage in them. You didn't even expect that plexiglass to hold up and to be able to contain it. Oh, gosh. Diane, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it was, I, know, I, left, I left the prison that day shaken. I was going to say, I mean, you know, even even if you are established in your own knowing of your spirituality, whatever you call that, when you come up against evil, against what, you know, mano y mano, you're looking straight at evil, evil's looking back at you. You know, people always say they have no fear, but the reality is what you just said. It does touch something deep inside of you that it doesn't scare you, but it does shake you up to see that someone's that evil. Well, it, it, and, you know, um, it it. it, it then got it then got a little more complicated for me psychologically because I'm going, okay, here's a guy that although I know it's only part of his process to manipulate me, he he yeah. is saying how much he likes me, he's calling me a friend and you start going, What is wrong with me? Right. You start really wondering about yourself. Why does he want to have anything to do with me? What I mean what's in me that, you know, and you you really, it really made me do a very deep um, spiritual analysis of myself. And and, and the bottom line is, is that, you know, the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Well, when you are exposing yourself to evil things, you have to guard yourself against that influence and impact. And people don't believe me when I say that, Diane. I'm 100% on top of you. And it's not that you become the evil, but you nailed it right there. You do start questioning yourself on what is this guy sensing energetically or however you want to put it inside me that's making him, drawing him in closer. What what vibes are you giving out that you would even be interested in having a friendship with a kind of guy like that? Yeah, yeah. And, you, and you know, for my part, I mean, to some degree I was manipulating him. I mean, I did right. not tell him exactly what I thought of him. Um, no. But, you know, it was more protective covering to do my job than anything else. And right. it... It's um, it's really uh, a very very strange place to be uh, when when you try to step back and you go, oh my! I just sat there with that guy. He told me jokes and I laughed at them. You know what is wrong with me? You know, it, yeah. it, it, everything suddenly is is up for question and heightened. Isn't it yes. like every yes. emotion yes. that you have is like heightened? Like it, every sense that you feel when you're in that essence just draws you in to every chord, and it makes you either question your own spirituality or you go deep further in yours because what choice do you have? I want to go back to one you pushed on something really important there, the bio people. What was their reaction when they found out that his spiritual people were these satanic cult 
satanic people, and are they going to be on the show? Well, uh, the, their thing is, is that, you know, they don't interview any criminal um, in, in a way that they don't do anything to set up an interview that would be a direct benefit to the criminal. So yeah, that, that that became an issue for them. I mean, you know, the uh, flying spiritual advisors in and putting them up at a hotel is, you know, not, uh, it sort of falls into that category. And it falls in that category if there is something to gain, even no matter what the claim was on the spiritual side, he and his people are getting something out of it. Yes. Wow, that is fascinating. So how do you, I mean, if you could capsulate this whole spiritual thing and the religious vex that he's gone on, what's your opinion? Obviously, you don't think it's real. Well, let, let me just let me just clarify for the record. Yeah. I personally feel, believe strongly in the power of redemption. I do think people can be transformed um, and can uh, intrinsically change themselves and become better people. Yes. However, to him, it's just a game to get what he wants. And I think he responds to people who he feels he can get something from. And and because of where he is, not out on the street, but in a, in a prison, what he wants now are different things than what he wanted. I mean, he wanted money and, and, and trucks and stuff when, when he was free. But now, you know, he can't have but so much in his cell. And he can't use but so much money because what the heck do you buy at a commissary? And uh, so it's become different things. Um, Companionship in some ways, uh, connection to the outside world, uh, and, and, and just little things that might come along. Well, and people are still talking about him. Yes. Yes, they I mean, are he's so still in that. the limelight. He's, you know, the narcissistic tendencies are, I want to keep people, my name out. So if I keep flip-flopping, yes. you know, and I call those people spiritual chameleons. You know, yeah, and when, he, go, when he first... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, when, you know, he first, it's it's part of the whole picture of his life. When he first got arrested, he got arrested for killing a young girl. And he he made a decision really quickly that he he saw that he was dead to rights on this one. There was no way he was going to get out of it, but he was darned if he was going to go to prison as the killer of a young girl. He was he would rather just you know confess what he'd done and go to prison as a serial killer because then he'd have a better social status. <laughs> That's just almost too much to wrap your head around, Diane. Mhm. Well, his well, thinking, his thinking is so bizarre. For example, there's this little girl in Kentucky he killed named Haley McCone, and she was in a park. It was a school day, but she was out of school because she had to go to a doctor that day. 
So she was in the park, swinging on a swing all by herself. He went into that park, knocked her off the swing, took her into some nearby undergrowth, and um, and sexually assaulted her and murdered her. And um, you talk to him about that, and what does he say? He says, it is the community's fault that she's dead. Oh, my Lord. And he said, well, you know, you heard about the railroad killer. And I said, yes. He said, well, there's the park, then there's that area of undergrowth, and then there's these railroad tracks. The serial killer left two bodies on that, the railroad serial killer left two bodies on those tracks. One of them survived, but he left two bodies right there. It's only a football field from there to the playground. And nobody cleaned up that undergrowth. If they had cleaned, if they had cared about their children, they would have cleaned out all that undergrowth because it was only because I saw the opportunity. I saw the opportunity that there she was and there was a place I could take her right to. So, you know, it's the community's fault. They didn't care about their children enough. So they always have an angle. And this guy took off against every angle he had, which includes all gamuts of spirituality and religious faith, from the very, very good to the very, very evil and, um, you know, and everything in between. Well, we're done, Diane. That was great conversation. Can you tell people where your next book event is in San Antonio? I will be at Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble San Pedro, Saturday the 24th at 2 p.m. And they have promised that they will have copies of both my newest true crime that just came out, Sleep My Darling, and the and as well as that, they will have my newest book in my Lucinda Pierce series. It's the sixth book in the series called Wrong Turn. And in it, uh, my main character deals with uh, some case, some claims of wrongful conviction. Fabulous. That's for San Antonio. That's in San Antonio, Texas, for those of you that are listening and in the America world. It's in San Antonio, Texas, San Pedro. Great restaurants, great bookstore, by the way. Diane, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your perspective on the counter side of this religious thought of serial killers. So next week, we'll be joined with Reverend Neil Shuley, and he's going to talk specifically about redemption and salvation for these kind of souls that walk among us. But between now and then, I want you to remember, change doesn't have to be difficult, but it is necessary to grow. I'll see you next week, same time, same place, Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining Jillian today. Don't miss her famous at-home personal enrichment lessons. You can complete them on your own time to accelerate your personal change. They're simple and nothing like you've experienced before. Just like Jillian, warm and fuzzy with an attitude. So change already.